if you did or didn't catch the podcast, it won't have an overwhelming impact on the story today. Uh, it was just one of those things that rather than somebody have to go catch it so that we could get children out of the room for a very difficult conversation. Um, so, so if you look up there and you're like, we skipped part 13. No, we didn't. And it's out there and I will help you get to it. If you really want to hear it. Uh, it, it is a Genesis chapter 20 is one of the 19 and 20 are tough chapters. Okay. They just really are. And and we're going to jump in in Genesis chapter 21. Uh, I, I won't do the whole overview again because I, I look at the clock and, and I know we got a lot of scripture to cover today. The, the breaking it down is not hard because the scripture speaks for itself really well today. And a heads up for when we get on into the Old Testament, there'll be huge chunks of the law that you can read on your own for homework because... Nothing would be more painful for all of us than me sitting up here reading the Levitical law. Okay, there's some really good stuff in there. And I'll give you the nuts and bolts of why it was written and let you go do the digging. Okay, because sometimes when you're digging fence posts and digging holes, it's good to hand the shovel or the post hole diggers off and take a breather on the digging. Uh, if you don't, that's a good way to have a heart attack at a young age. I've been told I don't do a lot of fence. So younger guys, older guys, beware. But Genesis chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him and who Sarah bore him, Isaac or Yitzhak, if you want the Hebrew. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And if... If I can take a quick sidebar, I didn't make a, a slide for this, but God is able to take your circumstances and give you the ability to laugh at them. He's able to laugh at the impossible. We'll talk about that on a slide here in a minute. But he's also able to make you able to endure the laughing of other people because can you imagine how people would react to a 90-year-old woman having a child. We, we would scoff and we would laugh and there would probably be jokes when she's not in immediate company, you know, and, and at the same time, we would get our Southern on and say, oh, bless her heart, <laughs> you know, because that, that's the reality of it, that this was so amazing, yet it, it was... It's, only God could make somebody in the middle of that circumstance able to laugh. And, and Isaac's name means he laughs, which that's a great name for a kid. He laughs. Every Isaac I've known tends to be that way. But, but remember that God laughs at what we call impossible. He 
laughs at it. Nothing's impossible for him. Now, as the child grew and was weaned, Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Okay? She, she kind of had it, the opportunity to endure it, and she endured it from a lot of people, but who is she not going to take it from? She's not going to take it from an Egyptian slave in her house. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. I, I, I tell you what, the more I, I read and, and look at Abraham, the more I understand why God chose him. Because Abraham's in a bad spot. And he knows he put himself in this spot. And while he's, while he's mad at, at Sarah, he's still taking ownership that, yeah, this is partially my mistake, but that's also my son. What a, what a terrible spot. And I think sometimes when we read Scripture, we, we separate ourselves from it and we try to make the Scripture so holy that it's not real. And that's going to be a big part of today is that you have to step in and see how real that would be. That'd be tough. But there's a reason God chose Abraham because Abraham is going to try and do the right thing no matter what. And, and the right thing is very difficult here. And he has to, when he doesn't know the quality that lets Abraham be different than anyone else in the world, when he doesn't know, he leans on God for help. But God said to Abraham, the only reason God's going to draw near to Abraham is because there's biblical principle for it. Abraham was drawing near to God. God said to Abraham, don't be displeased because of the boy of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. See how this kind of a repeat of an earlier event for Hagar? God's doing the same thing, telling the same message to Abraham himself. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. That name will be important here in a little bit. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And I want you to understand that this is in the desert part of the Sinai. That this is not some big grand bush. Don't think some big flowering bush. This is a glorified tumbleweed before it breaks off and blows away. It's a scrubby bush. If you want the, the name for it in the region, it's called a rotum bush. And we will talk more about that in, in the summertime. If this series continues, we'll talk about lessons from the desert. And the rotum bush is one of them. Uh, but... She puts her son under one of these bushes and then she sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. 
Can you imagine putting your child a distance away because you couldn't bear to watch your kid die? And you're out in the desert, no water, you're out of food, and all you can do is cry out to God. But Scripture goes on and it says, And the angel, <clears throat> she lifted up her voice and God heard the voice of the boy. The voice of the boy. Who had God already spoken to if we paid attention earlier? God sent a messenger to speak to Hagar. God had never directly spoke to Ishmael until this moment. You know, God heard the voice of Ishmael. And he called from heaven to Hagar and said, What troubles you, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Okay, I didn't make the slide to just throw in right here, but God always honors his promises. Always. And that is both a blessing and not a blessing if you don't know him because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God said in the New Testament that the wages of sin is death, it's a promise. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And God never fails on his promises. Then God opened her eyes. I want you to understand, sometimes when we get into those deep, dark depressions in our life, in the, the midst of struggle with illness or trauma or, or just the overwhelming circumstances of life, there's time where God will have to be the one that opens your eyes. Because what, what we see right here in Scripture is not a few feet away from her when she opens her eyes, there's a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. Which, if you, if you paid attention, how far away did mom remove herself from him about a bow shot? There's no accidents in scripture. There's no accident that Ishmael became a master of the bow, one of the most feared weapons of the day. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. His mother went back to her people to get a wife for him. And that's a precedent we're going to see showing up over and over and over as we go. And this is that freebie for young people in the room. You know, your people are the people who believe that Jesus is the only name given under heaven by which men can be saved. Don't go marry somebody who's not your people. Okay? Looking at you. Looking at you. It's a long way off. Okay? I'm looking at mine. Remember, we don't date losers. Okay? Looking at you. I don't care that you're going back to another country. You're still our people. Okay? For scripture purposes, you know, if you wanted to make this more like... TV drama. Meanwhile, meanwhile, back in, oh man, that got really small on this screen. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abram, 
God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants. Okay, there, there's a reason for that and that's back in chapter 20. Okay, Abraham did deal falsely with Abimelech. Now Abimelech knows that, hey, when this guy gets backed into a corner, he might be sketchy. So deal true, don't deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, also back to chapter 20, he let him graze that wilderness for as long as he wants. For as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where I have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. I didn't know it was happening. You didn't tell me. And I have not heard about it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two made a covenant. Abram set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore the place was called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. And they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And there'll be times that I'll, I'll call them the Philistines and just live with me, okay? But at this place, at the well of Beersheba, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called on there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the lands of the Philistines. Okay, if you're an Old Testament studier at all, you know that the Philistines are some bad dudes that we're going to run into, but they're not bad at this point. They're not, they're not great at this point, but they're not bad and they're not attacking Abraham. And, and we'll discuss the tamarisk tree later this summer too. It's one of the great lessons from the desert. And the fact that Abraham planted it is not an accident. But after these things, God tested Abraham. That's not fun. If God tested Abraham, do you think you get off scot-free? I have slept over that part of that verse every time I read it. Every time I've read about Abraham and, and Isaac, I never really wanted to pay attention. I just cruised past that because, you wait, you mean God will test people? Absolutely. He will test you. And God said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Or as we've talked about numerous times, the Hebrew for that is Hanani. It's a call to attention with full focus and dedication. I'm giving you all of my focus. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering to me on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Okay, that is shocking. That is sh absolutely shocking to me that God would ask something like that. But I've studied the history of the region that Abraham came from, Ur of the Chaldees. Do you know one of the primary gods of that region was a god named Molech? 
who we will hear referenced later in the Old Testament, and Molech's act of worship, his primary act for people to worship him was child sacrifice. So this was not shocking to Abraham that a God would say to him, sacrifice your son. It was not a shock to him. Now, I'm not going to say he was excited about it. I'm not going to say he was thrilled about it, but he was not shocked. I would have been shocked. If God tells me to sacrifice one of my babies, that's going to be a shock. Okay? Abraham's not really shocked by this. So Abraham rose early the next morning. In the King James, it's funnier, but in this translation, he saddled his donkey. And he took two of his young men with him, and he cut wood for the burnt offering. And he, and he took his son Isaac, and he rode to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw it from afar. There's no accidents in Scripture. How many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three. How many days before Abraham would even see where he was going to sacrifice his son? Three. I mean, the, the tie-ins, when you start to really look in the Old Testament, are staggering. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. And the boy and I will go over there and worship and come again to you. And I've, I've heard it phrased over and over again how this is a great statement of faith by Abraham. And if that's how you want to believe it, if that makes you feel better, go for it. But who's within earshot of this statement? Isaac. Okay, can a 100-year-old man run down a 11, 12-year-old boy? No. Not on his best day. Are you going to say anything phrasing-wise that's going to make that sacrifice run away? Because that's a sacrifice. You're called to go worship. You don't want to scare the sacrifice away. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. Put a little weight on him, it'll slow him down. He can't run away. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And can you imagine Abraham at this point? You know, I, I, I try to put myself in this story. As we're walking up, I'm not looking at him. I'm telling you, I'm not looking at my son. I'm looking off in the distance. My mind is going a thousand other places trying to think of how this is going to work out. I'm not giving him my full attention and I'm not doing anything in my body language to make him nervous and make him bolt because that's a sacrifice. And Isaac said to his father, my father, he had to get his attention. And, and in that moment, Abraham turns and he says to him, here am I, my son. I'm giving you my full attention, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? And, and this is both a, a statement of faith, but it's a, a veiled statement as well where he's just trying to keep the boy calm. He said, For God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they both went on. 
we always make it a great statement of faith, and, and it is a great statement of faith, but the reality of it, if you read that, can you not hear the heartbroken voice of a father who's desperately trying to believe that God is not like the other gods? Because when we get to Hebrews, we're told that Abraham took God at his word, and that's what was counted to him as righteousness. In this moment, if he's taking God at his word, God's word, the last word he got was take your son and sacrifice him. Can you imagine the heartbreak of, of this almost veiled lie to his son that God's going to provide the lamb? He's in desperation to believe it himself the way that I read it. And if you want to read it totally different, that's on you. That's okay. We, we can both be wrong. Abraham will probably laugh at both of us in heaven. It'll be great. And when they came to the place God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son. At this point, there's no doubt for Isaac what's going on. Because dad just suddenly tied me up. We don't play that just tie me up game very often. Tied me up and laid me on, on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Anytime in the Old Testament you get somebody's name said twice, that is a desperate cry to get their attention. And, and it is a, a cry that cannot be ignored. Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. This is God crying out to Abraham and saying, you were absolutely right. I'm not any of these other gods. I'm not any of the gods of your fathers. I'm somebody different. And what sets me apart is that I'm different. And what sets you apart is you're different because you were willing to take me at my word. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I, know, I now know that you fear God, seeing you've withheld nothing, even your own son, your only son from me. You want to talk about a relationship with God where God will use you powerfully? Don't hold anything back. Don't even remotely hold it back and see if God won't cry out your name twice and reveal himself to you in a way that you can't imagine. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the thorns. But Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide, or Yehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now these two stories, a lot of times we look at them and it's like, man, why are those two stories side by side? Where it kind of makes sense chronologically that he sends Hagar away and, and then immediately we go into him being asked to give up his, his other son. But the parallels are just mind-blowing. Because both of the stories begin with early the next morning. And then 
Abraham set supplies on Hagar's shoulders. And in the story with Isaac, what's Abraham do? He set supplies on Isaac's shoulders. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. The author's just repeating themselves. It gets better. Hagar puts her boy under a bush. Abraham puts his boy over a bush. We like to think of it as great firewood, but if you go spend some time in the desert, the wood they use in the desert is not those big hunks of beautiful smelling pine that we burn in the mountains. Or this, this wonderful Chinese elm that burns really fast here in this part of the world. It was scrubby brush and sticks. And Abraham puts his boy on, on or over a bush. Hagar looks up to see a well when God provides. Abraham looks up and sees a ram. And both of the stories will end with God making a covenant. I'd always just looked at them as completely separate. And when, when God is showing in real time what we learn later in the New Testament, that God is no respecter of persons. The, the patriarch, the, the father of many nations is treated exactly the same as the slave girl from Egypt. That'll blow some people's theology out the water and I'm okay with it. Because God is not a respecter of persons. What He does for one, He'll do for another. But there's also in Abraham's story one of those chiasms that we spoke of a long time ago where has book-ending statements of Hanani, here am I. And, and then you see, you know, he bound and laid his son on the altar uh, at the bottom edge. And at the top edge, Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and placed it on his son. Okay, it's mirror imaging of itself. Placed the offering supplies on his son. Placed his son on the offering supplies. And then they went on together is on both sides. And then smack dab in the middle of it in the Hebrew is Abraham's reply, yes, my son. I want you to understand that in your coming and your going, in your offerings of worship, that God is sitting right there with the same reply that He gave Abraham. Yes, my son. You have my full attention. You have my full attention. You ever think about God that way when you cry out to Him in prayer? You have my full attention. On your best days, if you cry out to Him, you have His full attention. On your worst days, you cry out to Him, you have His full attention. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said by myself I have sworn declares the Lord because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son I will surely bless you this is the covenant I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice 
So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba, which we caught just a little bit earlier in the story was also where Hagar was wandering in the wilderness and Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. What we didn't tell you is what Beersheba means. Beersheba is the well of the sevenfold oath. And I, I won't be able to break all of that down easily for you, but Abraham and Abimelech made this oath and, and Abraham gave him that weird gift of seven ewe lambs. And, and what that symbolized in that culture, each of those lambs represented two things. They represented generations. That this agreement is guaranteed for seven generations. But if this covenant or this agreement is broken within those seven generations, the price of redemption is going to be magnified seven times. And, and it's not an accident that Abraham is going to set up there. That, that Abraham is going to live and dwell there as long as he can. And because who else was living nearby? His son. Ishmael. And, and we miss that sometimes looking at Scripture. And, and I want you to understand that, that what you do, the, the establishment of a sevenfold oath, what you do will impact your family for up to seven generations. And we'll find that out later in the books of the law. This is just kind of a prequel. That that the we we like to throw the phrase generational cursing, which yeah, because we like wrath. We we really do. I think we make God more wrathful because we like it. We think we have to have him be super wrathful. I don't necessarily think I think he's righteous and just, and because of that, he has wrath. I don't think wrath is something that is his go-to. I think wrath is wrath and his mercy is his mercy. But the sevenfold oath, if you're going to allow sin and, and struggle to just remain in your life, you're not going to choose God's mercy, then it continues to the next generation until somebody in the family goes against that sevenfold oath. Where somebody steps in and says, no, it's running my family for years and it runs out with me. You know, living for the world ran in my family, it runs out with me. Alcoholism ran in my family, it runs out with me. You know, pick your, pick your struggle. And it runs out with me. Because God, who we just saw, saying, I'm right here. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your worst moment, is looking to call your name and remind you, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm with you. Whether you're going out on the way into that moment or you're going out of that moment. You know, some of us are going to face tough stuff this week or in the weeks to come. 
God's with you on the way in, and He's with you on the way out. Because He's the same. It doesn't matter if you're the slave girl or the father of many nations. I never looked at it that way. God cares about you. God wants to meet you right where you are. And the other thing that God spoke to me as I was looking at that passage of Scripture, in the middle of all of that, He gave the answer to everything. Instead of it being a reply to a request, what if it becomes a statement? Yes, my son. What's the cure for the sin that so easily besets you? Yes, my son. What was the sacrifice to forgive you of your sins? Yes, my son. Who's going to help you know how to live for me? Yes, my son. God put it right there. Yes, my son. My son. 